yeah. So, I mean, doing really well. It's just been yesterday. We drove like four hours going from one place to another because we had, I mean, it wasn't all ministry stuff. We spoke at a, at a school in the morning and it's actually a school. The, uh, I went to this school for when it was like a co-op and it's become, it, they used to do it just out of my, uh, like our church youth group room. And my, my teacher was also my youth pastor and it's grown into this, this like elite private school that has hundreds of students. I think they have, it's, I don't know how many, but it's hundreds of students. And so they invited us to come speak yesterday. And it was really awesome because we spoke at the school and uh, I had Carmi speak for, a few, we had 30 minutes. So I had Carmi speak for 30 minutes and then Elias spoke for a few minutes, which he was, he was super nervous about. And then I shared and it was really cool because after I shared, after we all shared, uh, a bunch of students came up and they were asking for prayer, which I just thought, you know, that's no big deal. Well, you know, pray for people. Like that's what yeah, I mean, we pray for people. Yeah. And, but then they, they told us that the woman who had invited us, she said that you know, she'd never seen, there had never been a student, hey, come up and ask for prayer after one of the speakers, much less a whole group of them. And one of the students actually, for me, what was really cool, because one of the students asked to pray for us. And so it was really, really cool. And there were, there were a few that came up. I think it was like four, three or four that came up and they, they were like, uh, that just changed my life. And, and two of them came up and they said, I think I want to be a missionary now. So it was, it was really cool. It was awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. So, and then, and then after that, we drove out to see my sister and she lives an hour and a half away and then went and visit some other people. So it was, we didn't get, we were gone from early in the morning to late at night. And it's just, I mean, it's good. That's why we came here. Yeah. But it's just been, it's been busy. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's get into it. Hello, Alan Crickham. Today, the tables have turned and you, sir, are getting interviewed. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yes. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? So, Alan, would you please tell us your story? Okay, sure. So, uh, well, I grew up in a Christian home and born and raised in Texas. I was the first baby born in, I believe the state of Texas, but sometimes I admit the Texas is big. So I, I looked it up actually, not for this, just because of my own vanity, I looked it up. And, <laughs> and it, I was looking up how many babies were born in, in, I think the world in 1985. And they were like 300 in, in uh, on January 1st, because that's when I was born. And they apparently it was 330,000 babies were born on January 1st, 1985. So I may not be the only one, but I think I was the first in Texas that was born in 1985. And uh, so I was, I was raised there, been in Texas. I'm in Texas right now. That's why I don't have all the usual setup and stuff. And uh, I was, my, my whole family was Christian. And so that's all I've ever known, all I've ever wanted. I want to be a missionary forever. My grandmother was a missionary in Africa. And I actually just got some pictures of her in Africa working with uh, war orphans. That's who she worked with quite a bit. And she, she actually has a book which I don't think was ever widely published, but I have a couple copies of it called Meandering with Martha. And it's a gigantic, tedious read because she wrote it kind of herself and I guess didn't have an editor to help her cut it down. So it's this gigantic tome of a book, but it's so awesome because it's just got all of her stories of, I mean, anytime you have someone who served God, they like really served God their whole life. She died. I don't know. She must've been I, I guess 80s or 90s or something like that. And she had served God her entire life and had truly been one of those people who gave her life for the Lord. She was in Africa for years and years and years with the Free Methodist Church. And then she came back to the States whenever she, uh, I think, I never really asked her because I was too young why she left the mission field. But I think it was because she got married uh, to my, uh, my, my great grandfather, no, he's my grandfather, my grandfather. And so I uh, got married and I think they just came back and settled in Ohio. And then she was a pastor there for years and years until she died really, until she retired, she got Alzheimer's and then she ended up dying from that. But she, she was a huge influence on my life. And so I, because of her, I wanted to be a missionary and she used to always, and I tell this story all the time. People, I'm sure people who have heard this podcast have heard me tell the story a thousand times about the apple tree thing, but you know, it was such a big moment in my life where she would always tell me that she came out when I, I was just learning to talk. I was two or three years old or something like that. And she came out and I was 
And I do remember, it sounds so cheesy, but I did have this apple tree in my backyard. It sounds like from a 19, like, like the 1700s, you know, I'm going out to the old apple tree, but I did, we had this apple tree that had these green apples and this was way before cell phones or anything. So I would go out and I, I love to read. I, I would read, I have always been a reader. I read giant, giant books. And I would go sit, this apple tree had these two branches that went like that. And it was the most comfortable place to sit. You could lean back. So I'd go out there and sit there and read books and stuff. And she would always tell the story of how she came out and asked me, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, uh, it's been, now here's the thing. Now that I'm 36, the exact words that I said go back and forth because I remember saying, I want to be a missionary, but she told me later that I, I always said I wanted to be an evangelist. And so I said one of those two things. And then she would always remind me of that every year for years and years. So uh, because of that, I was raised my, my mom. I was homeschooled. So my mom, she would just teach me. I, I learned a lot about missions. I read a lot of missions biographies. And uh, the Journal of Jim Elliott was like a second Bible to me. I read that all the time. Uh, he was so influential in my life. And I actually always wanted to go to Mexico. That was the place that I thought because I was reading all of these books about these missionaries who were going into the jungles and going to these unreached tribes. I had this sort of vision when I was not, not, not a spiritual vision, like, you know, like daydreaming. I was, I always had this thought of one day, I don't know, cause I was a kid. I wasn't thinking of driving. I had this thought of, I'm going to get a bike and I'm going to ride that bike into Mexico and just ride into the jungle and find some tribe. And I'm just going to get them all saved. That was what I thought for years and years. And eventually I did go to Mexico when I was 13, uh, YWAM, Youth of the Mission, they came to my church. I had never heard of them before. And they were doing all these crazy dramas where like Jesus was fighting Satan and they were doing flips over each other. And they, this was YWAM Tyler, which is one of the biggest YWAM bases in the world. So they have this pool of talent that's ridiculous. And they have these people who can do, they're like acrobats and they can do all this crazy stuff. I don't know how it is now, but back then they were legitimately... I'll never forget Jesus running across the stage and, and uh, another guy had his hands out and he jumped into the guy's hands. The guy threw him up and he did a front flip over Satan. <laughs> it was like the craziest thing. And that was, it, it impacted me so much. And I, I uh, thought, I want to, I want to go with these people. I want to do what they're doing. I can't do a backflip or a front flip or anything, but I, I want to go. And so they had this two week school called the summer services training at their base, which my son Elias is actually about to go do in June, the same one. And so I went and I did that school. It, again, it was life-changing, went to Mexico and God just, I mean, it's not like miracles were happening in particular or anything out of, it was just a mission trip for most people. But if anyone who's been on a mission trip knows it changes your life, especially if you're a teenager, it's something you never forget going. And our bus broke down. They called it Old Bessie, and it hit a million miles while we were on that trip. We drove down to Mexico on this bus, and of course, it immediately died when we got across the border. And so our whole team of—it's a gigantic base. So there were—I don't—I I don't remember, but there were probably the bus was completely full. However many people can fit on a giant yellow school bus, that's how many teenagers there were. And so we got off this school bus. And then my first mission, my first day as like a foreign missionary, they told us, find a piece of concrete to sleep on on the sidewalk because we're sleeping here tonight because they didn't have enough money to pay for a hotel. And the mechanic that they managed to find had to take the bus away and to work on it for, and have it ready in the morning. So I have pictures on a hard drive somewhere of myself and all the, the we have this gigantic pile of backpacks and we slept just on the sidewalk on the other side I, it was Reynosa Mexico we were just sleeping on the sidewalk all night just on the streets of Mexico and I loved it I loved it so much because for me it was like this is what life is life is adventure I, I wanted to I wanted to have stories that nobody else had or, or not many people had. I, whenever I was growing up reading these missionary biographies and people like Reinhard Bonnke and Jim Elliott and these people who've done incredible things for God, my whole thought was always, I, I eventually got tired of reading. And I still do read them all the time. That's why I do like the, the videos that I do where I share church history because I still always read about it. But I, I got to a point 
where I thought to myself and I would pray and I'd say, I, God, I do not want to just read other people's stories my whole life. I want my own stories. I always had this, this image, which probably, I mean, I don't have any scripture to back it up, but I had this image of heaven. I've never believed that. And, I, and I'm convinced scripture doesn't even to allude to this of heaven being like everyone sitting on clouds playing hard. That's so boring. Like for me, what I see in heaven in, in scripture is it's a busy place right now it's that jesus said that in heaven they're preparing people's mansions they're preparing the wedding feast so there are people cooking and setting tables and building houses and preparing streets and there's a lot of stuff going on in heaven and i always imagine i know that there's no night in heaven because there's only light but i imagine there are these moments where people are sitting around campfires or whatever and they're just talking and sharing stories of what god did on earth and I always imagined sitting around a campfire with Elijah and the Apostle Paul and Jim Elliott and these people who had done so much for God. And I, I was always terrified that I would be the one with nothing to say. And so I wanted to be able to say, well, Paul, let me tell you what happened to me. <laughs> and I wanted those stories for myself. And so whenever I was there in Mexico and I'm laying there on the concrete and couldn't sleep and that I was just thinking, this is the most amazing day of my life. I'm doing it. I have a story to tell. I have something to share that God did. And, and a lot of people would have been miserable. I've been with people who, and you have too, of course, where you have people who come down from the States and or where, Europe or wherever, and something like that happens and they're, they're miserable and they're just thinking, oh, they didn't plan this or why didn't they make sure Bessie was mechanically sound and all that stuff. And we, for me, I was just like, this is awesome. And so then the next morning, and there was another life-changing moment for me. I did finally fall asleep. And I woke up to this big Korean guy kicking me in the side. And I, I opened my eyes and, 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 you know, I was a teenager, like teenagers do. I'm just probably just sort of grunted at him. Like, what do you want? And he, he said, it's time for breakfast. Now, I don't come from a family with money or anything. I had no money at all. I had spent it all, I'm sure, on snack. Anything extra I had to spend on snacks while I was in Tyler. And, and so I said, I have no money. And he said, don't worry about it. Just come with me. So I get up and I follow this guy. And he walks me to the local, there was a McDonald's down the street. And he, it, it was, now I look back at it and it was probably such a small amount of money. It was probably like $100 or something. But he bought every single student an Egg McMuffin. And so I went in, he got up and he gave me one. And I was, I, at least in my memory, no one that I had ever, other than family, of course, no one had ever done anything so nice for me before where I, I didn't know this guy. He didn't, I didn't know his name. He didn't know my name. The only thing that we had in common was that we were there together and we loved Jesus. That was it. And he bought me this like back then it was probably like 50 cent egg McMuffin, you know, in Mexico. And he gave it to me. And I, I remember thinking, and I never spoke to him again. I have no idea where he is. No, he probably doesn't even remember that, that at all. And I, I remember thinking, I want to be like that guy. I want to be the guy who finds random people and just gives them an egg McMuffin, you know, just helps. And so though, that was a really key moment. After that, things just sort of went skyrocketed from there I after that I went to Minnesota on a mission trip and I worked in homeless shelters which I had never done before now I then after that I went to Belize when I when I was I, I had just turned 16 I went to Belize and it was the first time I was in the jungle and I I loved it so much that was still with my youth group and that one was with my youth group I mean and I I actually went to my youth pastor and I said I'm not going home <laughs> I said I'm staying you guys are leaving I'm staying here and he called the, the missionaries there and we all met together. And, and I was like, I'm not going home. I'm going to, this is, this is my place. This, I'm going to live here and I'm going to minister in this place. And it was, it was amazing. It's sad now because I was 15. I barely remember that trip now, but I remember that. I remember thinking, I, I don't ever want to leave what we're doing. It's so, they're just the, you know how it is because you were in Panama too, but there just, there's something about, even though you're physically kind of miserable with the humidity, but you the banana trees and the mountains everywhere there's and just walking through these trails and you've got these little huts and the little smoke is coming out and you get to go in and talk to these people who are scared of you because of no idea who you are and then you get to tell them about Jesus and pray for them and sometimes God does miracles and really powerful things happen 
And I just, I wanted it so bad. And so uh, unfortunately, because I was still a minor, they said, you can't stay. <laughs> they said, you could come back, but you can't stay. And so I left. And unfortunately, that particular family, they ended up having a, I don't know what happened, but the, the couple got divorced and they had a total meltdown and it got really, really bad for them. And they just sort of disappeared. So I never got to, I've never been back to Belize since, but I've always wanted to go. And so after that, whenever I was 16, I just felt like it's, I, because I was homeschooled and everyone knew I was going to be a missionary, I just felt like it's time. I need to just go. And so I, I met with my pastor. This wasn't a rebellious thing at all. I had a blessing from my parents, from my pastor, from the elders in my church. Everybody was in agreement. And they sent me to Minnesota, to YWAM. The, the reason I went to Minnesota, I wanted to go back to Tyler but here in Texas, but they wouldn't accept me because I was only 16. And the rule at that, I applied to several bases and everyone rejected me because they said, you have to be 18. But this one base in Minnesota, I still, I still don't know how this happened, but they called me. I didn't apply to them. I didn't even know they existed, but they called me. And how, for however it happened, the, the guy said, hey, I, I heard, we heard that you want to do a DTS and that you haven't been able to get into anywhere else. We want you to know, we feel like God wants you to come here. And so I, I did go through the application process and everything, and they accepted me. And I, I went and I was one of the youngest people to do a DC. Others, others had done it. And there have been many who've done it at 16, but I was at that time, I was one of the youngest. This is in 2001. My DTS started September 22nd, 2001. So 10 days after 9-11 happened. And it was just sheer insanity, just getting to Minnesota because I flew there and it was, it was absolutely wild. But it, I, unfortunately, I was really arrogant in those days and I was really proud just like a lot of 16 year olds, but I was even more so because I had been on the mission field and I was, I was one of, I may have been the only person that I knew at that time who knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life at 16. And I really looked down on a lot of people, a lot of people who, uh, teenagers who still didn't know, they, they were still, whatever, they were working at McDonald's or, or whatever, which I, now that I'm older, of course, I know those things are necessary. You learn all kinds of business sense and things that I didn't learn because I didn't ever do any of those things. But I, because of that, I actually didn't get much out of my DTS, uh, the discipleship training school and why I went, because I went in really proud I wasn't very teachable and I went in basically thinking I already know everything there is there is to know because I had studied I mean to my point not that I was right at all my mom had done a really good job of teaching me so when I went into the DTS it was all very basic for me and I knew it was mind-blowing for a lot of the other students we had people who had literally been taken one girl who was there her mom sent her from a gang, from being a drug dealer to the DTS, like as a rehab for her. There was another guy in my DTS from Romania who, while we were there, got arrested because he was a refugee and an illegal immigrant. And he was arrested during the school. So we had a crazy, crazy group of students. And I was the only one there who had always wanted to be a missionary. I was the only one who planned on being a missionary after. So I just had a lot. There was a lot of baggage on me whenever I went in. Uh, so I, it's one of my biggest regrets is that I did, I barely paid attention in my DTS, but thank God for his grace because he can look through all of that junk and still talk to us anyway. And it took me a long time to grow out of that. I don't think I grew out of that until my mid twenties, probably. Uh, but well, actually my early twenties, cause I got beat up a lot in the ministry, not physically, but just emotionally beat down so much because of my pride. But I, I, at that time, I was still convinced I'm going to do this six month school and then I'm going to Mexico. That's where I'm going. But God had other plans. And in one of my classes, and I always say this, and I still mean it, it was the most boring class I ever went through my life. I was, I was such a bad student already. I was the one who would sit in the back and, you know, I wore hoodies all the time. So I put headphones in. I don't know why they even let me graduate. Honestly, I was a terrible student, I, but I was sitting in the back of this class. Thankfully, I feel like kind of like, it's like Paul said, you know, whenever Paul was persecuting the church, he said that God had grace on him because he was doing it in ignorance because he didn't understand. That's that was me. I was so ignorant. 
And God, at least, thank God, he knew that I was sincere, even though there was pride all over it, he knew I was sincere. And so I had this vision, which I have, more lately, God has been speaking to me through dreams and visions and stuff. But for the past first 20 years of ministry, I never, I rarely had stuff like that. And so I had this vision and I saw, uh, I saw myself on my knees praying and I saw the, as I was praying, there would be these demons coming down in waves. And as I prayed, angels would come and push them back. And so God spoke to me and he said, I, this is where I want, I want you to go to this place. And he named churches from the, from the book of revelation, the churches that are the, the end times church in the book of revelation. I had no idea where that was. This is before internet. This, well, there was internet, but I didn't have any access to it. And so I had to go find an old Bible dictionary in the library and look up the words and it turned out that they were in modern day Turkey. And so God spoke to me. He said, I want you to go to this place for two years. So I, I ended up doing that. I, I finished my DTS, my outreach. We went to New York where since 9-11 had just happened and we got to be in this church that's right by the, the um, ground zero and the firefighters were there and they would come sleep in this church and you could see the crater right next to the church. You could look out the window and look inside. It was, it was intense. And these, this one firefighter came in and he was all... I mean, they were exhausted. They had so many pro lung problems from breathing and stuff in. They would come in exhausted. And he came in and he, he, we had become kind of friends. And he sat down and I asked him, how was your day today? And he said, it was a good day because I found a woman's finger today, mm -hmm. which he said meant because that he could, they could identify a body. They could, he said, somebody is going to know they're going to have closure at least. And so then he gave me a piece of glass about this big and it was, I mean, like an inch thick. And he gave it to me. And he said, technically, he said, don't tell anyone I gave you this because technically this is evidence and we're not supposed to let anybody touch this stuff. He said, but I don't want you to ever forget what happened here. And so I have that piece of glass still. I'm pretty sure it's in Panama. We, I have this sort of display case thing that I have just, what do you call it? Memory stuff. And so I, after all of that, I went to Scotland and then after Scotland, I went to Turkey and I lived there for two. I was in Scotland doing another, the school of frontier missions. And then I went to Turkey and Turkey was foundational in my life. I, that was whenever I first time I encountered persecution and being in a, a nation that was completely unreached. Turkey's 99.8% Muslim. And uh, I will say it was nothing like I expected whenever you, if you have never been in a place like that, and you've just been raised in the States and you've only watched movies in the States, as far as you know, everybody is a terrorist, but really not the case at all. Actually, I found so many Muslims, they, they want truth so bad. And Jesus would appear to them in visions and dreams, and they'd have no idea who he was. And they would show up at our door. We said we lived in apartments, we would show up at our doors and they would say, this guy named Jesus appeared to me in a vision. And he told me, he gave me your address and told me to come here and ask you to tell me truth, who the way, the truth, and the life is. And then we would just explain the gospel to him. It was amazing because it's a closed country. So Jesus himself had to do all of the evangelism and just send with us because people would get beat up and killed. And, you know, one guy was martyred whenever I was there. Uh, that was a really brutal thing. And so encountering all of this and seeing God really move for the first time in my life. <clears throat> like, excuse me, like outside of the normal, uh, we're trying to raise funds and God miraculously provided funds for a DTS and things like that. But to see like people who were manifesting demons and speaking in different voices and stuff and be part of praying for those people and seeing demons come out of people and their whole countenance change and them get set free or uh, the, I don't, not just demonic stuff, but praying for people and having them get healed and all kinds of stuff that happened that in those days, it was mostly me just seeing other people do it. I, I didn't really, the sun started really shine on me. There we go. I didn't really, I, I was there, but I was just sort of watching other missionaries do it. And it, it really kind of set me on fire to have it myself. Because again, I don't want other people's stories. I want my own stories. So I really started seeking God for that in those two years. And 
during those two years, I met a missionary named David Hogan, who is a missionary in Mexico. Uh, and he is kind of funny because I met him and I said, I want to go to Mexico and I want to work with you because I was still Mexico was still where I wanted to go. So I want to go to Mexico and I want to work with you. And he said, at that time, I was really feeling a lot of pressure from my fellow missionaries. And they were, they were, it was because they loved me and they wanted me to stay. They were really pressuring me to stay with them in Turkey. But I was so, for me, I said, God told me to come for two years. So I'm leaving. It's the day two years ends, I'm gone because that's what God told me to do. And, but I, I always was really callous about it, which is another, another thing I've had to grow in. And so whenever those, we were getting close to the end of those two years and I met David Hogan, I told him, I said, I don't really know what to do because I have all these, my friends are telling me and they're missionaries and I believe them when they say to hear God that I'm supposed to stay. But I felt like God told me I'm supposed to leave and I want to go to Latin America. I really want to go to Mexico. And he told me something that I still to this day, anytime I feel like I'm in a pinch, anytime I feel like I'm getting pressured from people, which is going to happen all throughout your life. And I feel like I'm getting pressured from people. I always, he said, then you need to make a decision. He says, you need to choose. Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow man? And when he said that, that just like hit me like an arrow. And I knew and to this day, those words guide a lot of things that I do where, okay, am I, am I, am I going to follow God? Or am I going to follow him? Whenever I feel this pressure to do something from people. And even uh, I had a conversation with Winky Prattney, uh, who one of our, I think the last episode was with, was with Winky. And he told me something similar because I had a private conversation with him before and just, we were just having a conversation really. It's not like at that moment, I was like, I was feeling pressure and things like that, but we were just, I was talking more about direction from ministry. And I was saying, I'm not, I don't really know what direction to go from here because there's so many open doors. And he told me, he said, uh, one thing Catherine Coleman used to say was trust the Holy spirit, which sounds so cliche, but he said, trust the Holy spirit. But then he elaborated on that. And he said, the reason why is because when you're in ministry and God starts to use you, Lots of people are going to come to you with all kinds of ideas and they're going to have lots of suggestions and lots of things to tell you. And and a lot of them, they'll be very sincere. They love the Lord. And some of them said, some of them will come with some ideas that sound amazing. And they seem to really line up with everything that you're doing and they seem right and they seem good. But he said, that doesn't mean that's the Holy spirit. You have to go to the Holy spirit and ask, ask him, what is it that you want me to do? And even if you have a thousand other ideas that sound so much better, the one that the Holy Spirit tells you to do is the one you have to walk in. And so uh, whenever I went this encounter with David Hogan and, and he said that, I said, okay, well then I'm, I'm going to go to, to I was said I was going to go to Mexico, but, and he told me, it's so funny and he's a human being, so I don't blame him or anything like that. But he shook my hand and he said, all right, well, if you decide to go to Mexico, give me a call then. And so I was like, going to Mexico. And so I went back to Texas and I legitimately, I found that he didn't have emailed and anything like that. So I started calling his office. Nobody would ever pick up the phone, which I found out later because they're never there. They're always traveling. And so never pick up the phone. I started sending faxes. You can fax them. And I sent faxes every single day for six months to his office because he told me to and never got a single response. And so I'm in Texas. And after six months of doing this, I, uh, my parents who, cause I was, I was 20 at this point, my parents said to me, uh, you're supposed to be a missionary. You've been sitting here for six months. David Hogan is not responding. So you need to either go be a missionary or go get a job. And so I, which is, you know, that's good advice. I had this girl who was visiting, she was a missionary with me in Turkey and she was visiting me at the time in Texas. And so I went out and I said to her, I said, name a country in Central America. Cause I at least know I'm going there. And she said, Panama. So I said, all right, fine. I'm going to Panama then. That's where God wants. It was totally like casting lots kind of thing. And I said, fine, I'll go to Panama. And I filled out the application immediately. I filled out the application online, sent it in. And within hours got a phone call from the YWAM base in Panama and they said, we just went over your application and prayed over it and you're accepted. We're starting a new base in another part of Panama. We want you to be part of the team that goes and starts that base. So it was just like a few weeks later, I bought a, I bought a plane ticket. I went down to Panama 
and essentially stayed there for the next 15 years. I, there were, of course, over 15 years, there were, I was in Costa Rica for two years of that. I was in Argentina for six months, but I was in Latin America for all those years. And we worked with, with tribal people, the Nobe tribe, which you know very well, of course. And while I was there, our team planted something like 15 churches out of, out of not me personally, but our team there uh, out of the base, something like 15 churches were planted. And now, and I'm not part of YWAM anymore, but now there's something like 50 churches have been planted out of that base. And so it's really, it was really awesome. And it was, it was awesome. The, the, I still have a really good relationship with YWAM and I would still be with them today, but the Lord spoke to me in 2013 to start found ministries and which uh, that's, you know, that's a whole long story, but essentially God spoke to me to start found and it started out. I was still in YWAM. I was one of the leaders in YWAM Panama. And I started out by buying bicycles for pastors in China through the voice of the martyrs. We would just raise money and just send it to the voice of the martyrs and they would buy those. And, and that we were like, huzzah, we're doing something. And, and over time, it's grown and grown and grown. And in 2018, so there was five years when I was still in YWAM while Found was growing. And so it was a long period of time. It was a very, it's been a very slow growth for the ministry. But in 2018, we finally got to the point where we just could not continue. It was, it had, it was not big, but it was big enough that it was taking too much time. So we had to make a decision. Are we going to run Found or are we going to stay with YWAM? And we just, it was another one of those things, like we loved YWAM, but we felt like the Lord was saying, this is what I want you to do. So we stepped down from YWAM and started running found full time in 2018. And from then it's just taken off and it's still small. It's not a big ministry, but we have a pretty big reach. The 2021 was the biggest year we've ever had. We, we reached out to uh, largely Iraq and Syria and El Salvador, our big, our big places we gave over $10,000 in aid to, to Iraq, which of course you're a part of all of this. And we were able to buy mattresses, hundreds of mattresses and provide food for orphans in Syria and uh, kerosene for fuel to warm people in Iraq because that one of the refugee tents, uh, tent cities that we work with burned down and they lost everything. So we were able to provide all these supplies for them. In El Salvador, we actually just, which I haven't even told you about this yet because it's just happened, but we're working with Beatriz, our, our, uh, our missionary in El Salvador and her team down there, and we're buying a Gospel of John. We're going to give a Gospel of John for every, to every single student who can read in the schools that we work in in El Salvador. We have, up until now, we've just given New Testaments to high school students that are graduating, but I really felt like we need to go beyond that. So we actually just started putting the order in like yesterday, we were talking to the uh, Bible Society there in El Salvador, we're ordering, it's something like 1100 Bible, uh, New Testaments or uh, Gospels of John. So we're going to reach 1100 people over the next few weeks, just in El Salvador. So it's been really awesome seeing what God's doing. And so that's, it's kind of my story. Uh, it, it's still continuing, but God's been really good. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I wanted to ask if you'll tell the story of how you met Carmi. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, going back to Panama now, it's kind of, well, it's a long time ago. It's a little embarrassing now, but so that girl who was visiting me whenever I was in Texas, I had a huge crush on her. Like I was, I'm a person who, when I make a decision, like that's it. I don't, I'm not going to, I take a long time to make a decision. I weigh, I, you've seen it. I'll bounce back and forth <laughs> forever on things. But once I make the decision, like that's it. And so I was convinced I was going to marry this girl. And we were together in Turkey. We weren't together. We were never boyfriend and girlfriend, but we were together in Turkey. She was, she was with me in Scotland. She was doing her DTS in Scotland while I was doing the school of frontier missions. And then she was in Turkey on staff too. So for me, I was like, the stars have aligned. And, and, uh, she was really awesome, really awesome girl. And she was never, I don't know how, I don't know. I don't want to make her sound bad, but she kind of strung me along for about a, for the last year, because I was very open. Like, you know, I really like you all this. Kind of, and she would always say, I don't know. I need to pray about it. I don't know. Let me pray about it some more. 
and never, never said a yes or a no. And like, I was so, I was so into her that she had Lyme disease and she ended up getting, having to leave Turkey because she got so sick, she kept passing out and she got, she left Turkey. And this, this happened while I was in Texas and she went to Mexico for three weeks to go through this medical, whatever they special treatment in Mexico for Lyme disease they have that they couldn't be here for whatever reason. And so they flew, she went to Mexico and I went to Mexico by myself. She was already there and I flew there, took every, all the money I had, flew to Mexico and I, uh, I landed, didn't speak a word of Spanish. And I spent three weeks like in this hostel next to the hospital and would just sit in the hospital while she was there for those three weeks. And I, uh, I asked her, I, well, it's so embarrassing. I want to say anyway, I asked her to marry me whenever I was there. And she was like, no. (laughs) And so so I was like that. So I, but I, because it's just, I believe in loyalty, even though she was never loyal to me, but I believe in loyalty. So I just stuck it out and I stayed for those three weeks. And then whenever I went to Panama, I, I went there and I was still really into her. And in those cases, like God has to speak to me because my head is too thick. Like I'm, I just, I'm not going to get the message. And so I, I went to Panama, still convinced I was going to marry this girl. And I was convinced God was going to speak to her. She was going to come down to Panama. I kept telling her, come down to Panama. And she was always like, I have to pray about it. I'm not listening. My mom, you know, I, I don't ever, I don't listen like I should, but my mom told me, she said, Alan, if a girl says she doesn't know, it's a no. If it, because she has to know, if she doesn't know, it's a no. And so I, I, but I just didn't hear it. Now that's what I tell everybody. If it's not a hundred percent yes, then it's a no, because you don't want to get into that if you're not, if they're not sure. So I, I'm there in Panama and I, I would, went up with my team. There was four of us on the team, myself and three others. And I don't exactly know how this happened, but we were renting a house and the whole team had to go back to Panama city, but they needed someone to stay behind. And I volunteered. And so this, we had been there less than 24 hours. We had, it was a nine hour drive. We drove there and they were going straight back, I think to get more stuff, but I, I only had like a backpack. So I don't remember. So they drove back and I stayed and I was by myself in this host home, didn't speak a word of Spanish, didn't know anything. And I was, I fell asleep. And whenever I woke up, it was before dawn. And I woke up and I had never in my life experienced this before, but the presence of God was in my room. And I was so scared because I had experienced the presence of God at that intensity in Turkey when I was with other missionaries. So I always felt like it was them, like God, God likes them. And I just happened to be in the room with them when this is happening. And so I never expected it to happen to me, to where God showed up in my room. So when I woke up, I was so scared. I felt it was one of those times. I don't know if you've ever felt, if if you felt this, you probably have, but where God is so intensely there that you feel like you'll die if you make the wrong move. I had never experienced that before. And I was laying there and I didn't even know what to say. And I just said, I don't remember the exact words, but essentially like, what do you want, God? (laughs) And I had these, this series of visions, which it was the first visions I'd had since I was in my DTS. So this is like three years later. And I had this series of visions. And the first vision, I see this angel and the angel's looking at me and he just says three times in a row, he said, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Then he vanished. And then after that, I saw this girl that I had been obsessing over for two years or so. And God, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I heard it. I, I don't know if it was audible or if it was my head, but it was very, as real as it can be to me. And he said, nothing is ever going to happen with this girl. I want you to break things off with her today. And then the third thing I saw was my wife, Carmi, who I had not met. And he said, this is the person that you're going to marry. Uh, and that was it. Like I just saw her, said, this is the person you're going to marry. And then that was it. And I, it went away. The God left, left or however, I don't know what happened, but he was gone. And so I immediately got up. And because it was before dawn, the internet cafes were just opening up and I had no internet. I didn't have anything. So I walked to the internet cafe and sat and I was on Yahoo messenger and I sat down and this girl just happened to be connected at the same time. 
and I wrote her and I said, Hey, and I just, I just told her this goes back to me, not, not being very tact tactful when I, so I just told her exactly what God told me. I said, Hey, nothing is ever going to happen between us. I'm breaking things off with you right now. And she wrote me back and she said, well, that's good. Cause I have a boyfriend and we're real serious. <laughs> She ended up marrying him and they have a bunch of kids now and they're great. So, I mean, that's fine. And <laughs> so, so that was my conversation. And I, of course I'm bummed out. Like, even though I had this vision, I was not interested in anybody else. I just, I had no interest. So after the, it's not like I, I told her that and I'm like, all right, let's go find another one. I, I was not interested. And I went back home. I, I'm of course all bummed out. Cause I'm like, man, I just spent like two years chasing after this girl. She's got like a boyfriend and never told me about any of this. I'm all bummed out. I go back to my house and I sit down in my room because it's still like the sun is just coming up. I don't know what to do. My team is gone. And there's a knock on my door and I go over and it's this little skinny dude. And because I don't speak Spanish, he doesn't speak English. She just motions like you want to eat. And so I just said, yeah, I just followed him out the door and just walked with because <laughs> I, I had nothing else to do. So, so I follow. If you ever get kidnapped, then we'll know how it happened. <laughs> yes, that's right. I'll just follow Randy. My mama told me not to get in the car with strangers, but I always do anyway. Yeah. And so I, I followed him just next door and go inside. And there, Carmi is sitting in a rocking chair in the living room. And now, because I was all bummed out, I did not care. Like I saw her and didn't, I mean, I saw her. And I saw her in what, what was in the vision, but immediately like the human brain does, I started thinking I must've seen her somewhere or she just looks like the girl or something. Cause I just was not interested. And so I just went ate breakfast and over the next six months, I got to know Carmi. Our first conversation, because again, she didn't speak a word of, of English was we started, we had a little Bible, uh, not a Bible dictionary. We had a little Spanish English dictionary that we would pass back and forth, like word to word, have a conversation. And that's how I learned Spanish was her and her family would, I would go over there every day. They would invite me over for breakfast every day. And I would just learn Spanish with them. And I got to know Carmi over, over the next six months, never, ever spoke to her about relationship. As a matter of fact, she had told me, cause she had also just gotten out of a a weird relationship with a guy from Austria. So she was in a very similar situation where she was not interested. And she had told God that because she's really shy, she's still a very shy person. And she had told God, I don't want to have to go find somebody. If you want me to get married, I want you to bring them to me. And so whenever I walked through the door and she saw me, she thought maybe God, this is the one person that God is bringing to my, to me. But again, she was in nursing school. So she was not interested, like she wasn't trying to look for anything either. So over the next several months, it was, I mean, months and months, because it was six months overall, probably like month four, I started thinking, you know, we got along really well. She wanted to be a missionary. I want our stories are very similar. We have same goals, same vision, same up for everything. All the stuff that people tell you not to look for, because they're like, that'll be boring. If you're, if you're exactly the same, but we're like exactly the same person, other than I'm very outgoing and she isn't, we're very, very similar people. And so uh, I started thinking like she, she could really, we could really work well together. And I, so, okay, this is where it all gels together. I start thinking, okay, I think I could marry this girl. I, we had never talked about a relationship. So I didn't know, I was pretty sure she was interested in me, but we never talked about it. So I started thinking, I, I think I'm going to talk to her and ask her if she'd be interested in me. But because I had been strung along for so long by that other girl, I didn't want to go through that. So for me, it was like, it's a, we're getting married or we're, or nothing, we're dead. Nothing is happening. Yeah. But right then I get a phone call from David Hogan's son mm -hmm. and he calls me on the phone and says, I got your faxes. And this is like over, this is a year later, it says, we just got your faxes and we want you to know that we, we have an open door for you if you want to come train with us here in Mexico. And so all of a sudden I'm stuck in this, oh, great. What I've been wanting to do forever. And now there's this girl I'm really interested in that seems like we could be perfect together. So what do I do? 
So that night, Carmi and I, this is six months in, Carmi and I are going to walk to church together. I had permission from my leaders. I had talked to my leaders about that I was interested in her. I was going to talk to her and all that kind of stuff. And so we're walking to church and I just, because I didn't know what was going to happen, I just, hey, you know, David Hogan's family, they called and they invited me to Mexico. If I were to stay here in Panama, would you want to get married? And she just said, yeah. And then we can say, that was it. We went to church. Like there was nothing romantic about it. We went to church and walked back home and told her parents and started planning the wedding. And we, we, we planned the wedding for about six months. It was awesome. It was because I was dead broke. I was living on $200 a month back then. And people were just in the neighborhood were giving everything for the wedding. I, I spent barely anything on it. It was really, really cool. And then we, we, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we're very, very similar. Like we didn't, our first kiss was we had been le in Panama, you get legally married and then you have your church wedding. We had been legally married for two days before we even had our first kiss. So, and it was just something that we, we just made a decision. And so we're very, very similar. Now. So it's been awesome. We've been married 15, 15 years now going on 16 and the next, next month will be 16 years. And it's been awesome it worked out. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. So you've been interviewing people now on this platform for how long? I started in 2020. Uh, I because I love hearing people's stories. And there are a lot of people like myself who have smaller ministries, and I wanted to give them an opportunity just to share what they're doing. So that started in 2020. I can't remember who I actually the first the first few episodes are there's no video it's just audio and it's just me sharing missionary biographies but then I had a missionary friend from Iraq come and she came to visit and I thought I should do an interview with her and just hear her story and so she can there's no video with that either because she couldn't because she's where she is she could just, so the the very first interview is with her which we did in uh, a friend's basement and I had didn't even have like microphones had no it was terrible the whole thing is terrible you can hear toilets flushing in the background because we're in the basement that is terrible but I loved it so much that I just kept going so I did it for all of 2020 2021 I stopped because the ministry got it just got too much for me to sketch to look up people it's it's amazing how much research it takes to find new guests once you get out of your inner circle of friends then it's like, well, now who do I talk to? So all of a sudden you got to start reaching out to people and it's, it's a lot of work to find people to interview, research the questions and then the editing and all the other stuff that goes along with it. So I just, I couldn't keep up with that and everything else. So I stopped and I was praying for God to bring somebody along who could help. And then this year I spoke with you and you've come alongside and we've been able to get it up and going again. It's been, uh, it's been really awesome. Yeah. So I'm curious, maybe without ne necessarily having to say names or anything, but um, have you heard maybe like a best piece of advice or a best piece of like wisdom from someone and then <clears throat> a worst piece of advice or a worst piece of wisdom that you've gotten from these interviews? Yeah, there was. So I guess that would depend on the category because because I've interviewed so many different people and some of them some of them have given me really awesome like like sam childers the, the the machine gun preacher he said something to me that i never would have guessed because i'm not i'm not really in terms of ministry i've never thought of just the the whole aspect of getting the word out and catching people's attention and because he was telling me and i don't even remember if this is in the interview with him or not or if it's something that he just told me in our conversation before or after but he said he said you know i'm really just like a normal a normal guy. And I, he said, I had a ministry for years that nobody heard of, nobody knew about, nobody cared about. So, but all of a sudden when I, became, he said, someone, someone like took a picture of me with a machine gun and called me the machine gun preacher. And all of a sudden he said, there was something about that image of the machine gun preacher that made the ministry take off. And that, and he said, he said, it, it's, he started to kind of share about other ministries and how we have this tendency to believe as Christians that it's wrong to do things that will capture people's attention, that it's wrong to do something because we think it's we're getting attention for ourselves or we're being proud. 
but he started sharing how, you know, in scripture and Old Testament, New Testament, people would be doing all of these things that would be attention grabbers. I mean, think about the prophets. They would do really wild, spectacular things that would grab people's attention because they were trying to get attention on the message. So he was sharing about how said, all this machine gun stuff. He says, I do do those things, but he said, but I, I, it's not something I would ever want to promote. It's, it was really just, it captures people attention. So we leverage that to preach the gospel. So for me, I, I started looking into that and found out uh, even William Booth, William Booth is probably my biggest hero in church history, but he, I didn't know this about him. Most of us, we read these books and we just think, oh, they were always just like this. But William Booth actually ran like a regular, like a food pantry for years and nobody knew anything about him. Nobody knew anything. And then whenever he implemented uniforms and changed the name to the Salvation Army, his ministry exploded because it caught people's attention. So for me, it's not something I've really implemented into my life at this point, but it's something I've been really, for, for the past couple of years, I've really been praying about like, God, what is, I, Winky Prattney said this to me in the last interview that I did with him. He said, he has a book called The Character and Nature of God, and he has another book that's on um, vocations. And that book on vocations, he, Winky, he died. And he was in a coma for several weeks. And while he was in the coma, he was like in the spirit realm. And God touched him during that time. And whenever he came out of that coma, which people can, I won't tell the whole story because people can watch the interview and they can see it themselves. But afterwards, he wrote his book on vocations. And it's the only book he's ever written where he said he saw the words written on the page before he wrote them. So the whole book is like written out of the spirit. And he said one of the, for him, of all the vocations, the thing that really, one of the things that impacted him so big was he was, he was, God was speaking to him through this book and God said, I am an entertainer. And he said, he's out, I was out loud. I heard it so clear that out loud, I said, no way, because we never think of that as spiritual. We never think of capturing people's attention as a spiritual thing. But he said, but God showed me, he actually is an entertainer. He captures people's attention. So for me, that's been a big thing. I've really been meditating on and trying to learn. The other thing would be um, with, with um, oh, Winky himself, whenever he said, trust the Holy Spirit, that's, that's fresh, but that's something that's been good. And then the other one, oh man, I, I feel so bad because I can't remember her name now, but I did an interview with her. Uh, oh man, she, I can't remember. She was one of the first interviews that I did. She's a Canadian, uh, Canadian woman who is awesome. Awesome. I just can't remember her name right now. It's so, it's so frustrating, but she talked about uh, church history and she has a podcast on church history and she shared, and this is, is going to sound goofy, but she started sharing about Christmas and the Christmas story. And she was the one who really brought me into looking at the, really the background stories of church history because I had always looked at the overall stories, but she was like, there's so much more to these stories than we think of like Christmas trees, you know, the, the balls that we hang on the Christmas trees, they used to be apples and all this kind of stuff that I just, I was just blown away by it. So there's that worst piece of advice. I don't know if I've had like bad, I'm trying to think, I don't think there's bad advice that I've been given on the podcast. Anyway, I'm trying to think of. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so, honestly. Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. I did have one guest who was, has been, has impacted me a, a, a lot. And that's Dwayne Johnson. Um, no, not, that's The Rock, right? No, that's <laughs> Dwayne McDonald. Dwayne McDonald. My goodness. That's, I'm not talking about The Rock. I always go, no. Yes, Dwayne Johnson was on the pod. He gave us a great, no. Dwayne McDonald, he was, he was my, uh, my guest. I asked him to do an interview with me just because I saw a clip of his birthday party somehow on Facebook. I don't know how we became friends. I don't know anything, but somehow, and he was dressed up as Michael Jackson and he was doing the moonwalk. And I was, I told my wife, I have to talk to this guy. I need to know his whole life. And so he agreed to interview, to do the interview and he was so amazing because he, 
was so on fire for God. Like he was the most normal, he loved Michael Jackson. He was the most normal dude ever. But like every day he was out on the streets preaching the gospel in these rough neighborhoods. And he had this whole group of people that come together. And when he wasn't preaching on the streets, he was doing live streams where he was preaching, he was preaching in churches. And he was about my age, young guy. And he, he had a huge impact on me just through that, just seeing like, man, this guy is on fire. But he also, uh, he died all of a sudden. And I wasn't expecting, like I was just going, every now and then I go and I, I like to look at what my guests have done, see if something new has happened, maybe I'll bring them back on. And I went on his page and it just said like, in memory of Dwayne. And I was so shocked. And what had happened is he had gotten COVID and he didn't tell anyone about it. And he, because he wanted to keep preaching. And so he was extremely sick and he kept going out on the streets to preach, which I know some people are already getting mad about that because he's going out when he had COVID, but that's just, uh, it's none of your business. He, he was going out, he was preaching the gospel because he just believed that this was a test and that God was going to get him through it. And he ended up dying from it. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was horrible. And I was shocked. I was reaching out, trying to find out what happened, but there was something about I mean, a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, that, that wasn't wise. He should have gone to the doctor and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I would never suggest somebody not go to the doctor or not quarantine. Or, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. But to me, it was something like a guy who is so convinced, who is so on fire for the Lord that he literally will not let anything stop him, even though he must have felt so sick. And so, but just to keep going out and preaching. And like, to me, I, I was like, I not that I want to go out and spread COVID around, but I want to be like that. I want to be like that, where it's like, it doesn't matter. I, I won't stop. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. So that, that was a big one for me. Mm. Yeah. That's really profound. The commitment, the sacrifice. He was awesome. Awesome guy. Wow. Wow. So anything else you want to share with our listeners? Any Um, secret talents or, you know, hidden achievements? (laughs) Well, um, no, not hidden talents. Although I did, uh, let me think. Oh, we have a lot of, your AFE. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You're gonna bring that up. I am. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Well, my sister won America's funniest home videos. Uh, the $10,000 one, not the $100,000 one. And she got second place in the $100,000 because the babies always win. But yeah, so when I had come home from Turkey, I, or I was visiting from Turkey or something like that, I had come home and my mom was recording me because that's what she did back then. Every time I'm back, she, because she, she only saw me once every couple of years. So she would just follow me around with a camcorder. And I went into the house, my sister, she was sick and she's taking her temperature and, uh, whenever she's like I think I'm sick and I, and I saw the thermometer and I said isn't that the dog's thermometer and she's like no and I said, that's the thermometer that we stick up the dog's butts and so she told my dad she's like you told me this is a normal thermometer she starts freaking out I mean she's like 13 or something like that freaking out and it's amazing it's hilarious you can look it up on YouTube just look up butt thermometer yeah, a America's Funniest Home Videos butt thermometer and you'll see it she's on there that's my sister and my parents and they won ten thousand dollars. It was it was it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I don't think I'm trying to think. I don't think there's. I've been on the news a few times and overseas, but I did one news thing where I was on the beach with a team from Texas with a church team, and this news crew came out of nowhere and like driving on the beach and asked to do an interview with me. And so they asked me what I thought of, and this, I thought this was funny. This kind of shows the media, right? I think this goes with media everywhere. And so they asked me, to, and I did this interview with them and I was telling them, you know, the beach is beautiful. And I was like, but there's, there's like trash over there that could be cleaned up. I think the government, I think that they could do a really good job of cleaning up these beaches. And they chopped out anything that I said that was even slightly negative about the beach. And it was only the beach is glorious. Everyone should go. It's a beautiful vacation spot. I was like, that's it. I was just like, this is, this is the media. This is what they do. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thanks for yeah. turning the tables on you and hear your story. And I'm sure there'll be a lot more to come. We'll do this again. Um, we'll yeah. get to 
get updates about how the ministry has grown or family and and maybe sometime we can have Elias on and hear his story after his um summer of service maybe even yeah okay. yeah we have to have an, do another one with you as well I know for I'm, I'm glad that you you had us set this up because for me I was thinking we're not going to have an episode this week because I was traveling and uh, our last guest fell through so I'm I'm sitting in the, the playroom at my parents house with my sister gave me her little ring light and then I got my phone. I don't even have like my computer or anything. So I'm glad we were able to, to get into my microphones, none of that. But so thanks for, thanks for setting it up. Yeah. Thanks for letting me interview you. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Well, will you pray for our listeners before we go? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you so much for everyone who's listening and watching and just ask that you would bless them, Lord, that you continue to move in their lives and that they would uh, be touched even just by this interview that they would be encouraged and that you would continue to plant seeds and move and continue to do all the great things that you do. Holy Spirit, may your presence be wherever they are um, in their homes or in their cars or wherever they are, that you would speak to them and touch them in Jesus name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you.